Good to see you guys tonight. Uh, tonight we are in the book of First Peter, the book of First Peter, um, and Lord willing, we'll we'll look at some texts throughout this book over the next several weeks. Um, the book of First Peter really entitled this series "Exiles," um, and so we're looking at what it means for us to live as exiles in this world. And, and tonight we're really going to get into what that means. Um, that's what Peter is addressing at the beginning of this book, what it means for us to be exiles. And what does it look like for us to live as exiles? What kind of hope do we have as believers in a world that you know, doesn't necessarily honor believers anymore? How can we persevere? How can we bless and, and praise God in the midst of trials? So we're going to be looking at tonight is the question we're going to be answering. First Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 12 is going to be our text this evening. So let me go ahead and read that. Then we're going to pray and we'll dive into the message. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. When he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that have now become have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this evening and opportunity to return once again to open your word and to learn from it. As we look at today's text, help us to be encouraged to persevere to bless you even as we face trials of various kinds in our life and, and trials that are thrown at us by the hostile world around us. God, help us to apply this to our life, to our church, and to constantly run back to this text, Lord. We are persecuted when we face trials. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Albert Moeller is the president of the Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And in every weekday morning, he puts out a podcast entitled The Briefing. And, and I have no idea how he is capable of doing this, uh, but he does. I mean, this guy is a beast. 
uh, intellectually. And, and he looks at and scours newspapers all day. And then, then every, every night or late at night, he will put this podcast together, which is released at like 5 a.m. the next morning that deals with a lot of the headlines that are happening in the news. And he pulls together different topics and, and various articles, and he looks at these from a Christian worldview. And I certainly commend this podcast to you. I've learned so much over the years as I have listened to it. And, and Moeller, he not only discusses, you know, events of worldwide importance on this podcast, but he also looks at topics affecting Christians in the United States. And and as you listen to the podcast, you, you begin to realize that, that Christians are experiencing more and more persecution, you know, as their religious liberty is constantly and systematically being attacked. And that shouldn't come as any surprise to you, really. I mean, when you think about Christianity, when you, when you think about what we stand for, our ideas, our morals uh, that are associated with Christianity, and, that, and you look at that and you, you compare that to the world, they are on polar opposite ends of the spectrum. And so it should come as no surprise to us that we are facing persecution that we're facing attacks that people are trying to to strip away you know Christian values in this country now Moeller's podcast while it is informative while I have have learned a whole bunch over the years as I have listened to this podcast I have to to be honest that that at times it, it can be a bit discouraging listening to all of the things that are happening, the, the way in which our country is trending, the things that are happening to Christians not only here but around the world it can be a bit discouraging. And from time to time, I have to, to take a break from listening to this podcast. Now, now I, I know that, that Moeller knows that his podcast can probably be a bit discouraging because at times he works to, to provide encouragement for Christians, to, to point out places in which victories are taking place, in which, in which Christianity is being progressed in this country, and people are coming to believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so, so he wants to hold out hope to people. And likewise, Peter, in his first letter, the one that we're, we're looking at here tonight, seeks to do the same. He seeks to provide Christians facing persecution with encouragement and hope. That's why we're looking at this letter. You know, and Peter, he, he begins by telling us who we are and how we have become who we are. And his point in doing so is to provide us with what we need to persevere through persecution. And so who are we? How did we become who we are? You know, these are the questions that we're going to look at. These are the questions we're going to answer here tonight. And my hope is that, that as, as we answer these questions, as we learn who we are, how we become who we are, it will drive us to, to praise and to bless God, to worship Him, even in the midst of trials. And so that's our roadmap for this evening. Let's begin with the first question, who are we? So look at what Peter says in verse 1. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, right off the bat, we learn that we are elect exiles. And we are heading into to 2020. You know, 2020 is a huge election year, if you guys didn't already know that. I mean, we have the presidential election. I mean, every single news station that you turn to is talking about the presidential election, is talking about the different elections that are happening, that are occurring this next year. 
And 2020, just as is it an election year, it's an opportunity for us to choose or elect our, our governmental officials who are going to represent us, who are going to represent us in this country. And we learn here, here that God, just as we elect our governmental representatives, God elects those who are going to represent him in this world. All those who are believers, we are told here, are elect exiles. That's who Peter is referring to here. He's referring to all of those in the dispersion. They are elect exiles. And this truth is significant, especially when you place it against the backdrop of Old Testament Israel. You see, Israel was, Israel is, God's elect people. He chose them, beginning with Abraham, to be his people, to be his representatives on this earth. And just as Israel was chosen, we're chosen. And so we see here that, that we are God's elect. And then we are also God's exiles. Or, or we are exiles, excuse me, not God's exiles, but we are exiles. So we are elect exiles. And we think about the word exiles. Uh, exile is someone who has either been involuntarily, you know, taken from their country, pushed out of their country. We see that in the news. People are exiled from their country. They're involuntarily taken out. And they have to go to another country because of persecution or something like that. Or an exile is someone who has voluntarily left their land for another land for whatever reason. This is what an exile is. And we are referred to exiles, not necessarily because we have been involuntarily pushed out of the country in which we live. I mean, many of you may have lived in Red Oak your entire life, or maybe you've, you've lived here for 20 or 30 years or something like that. Most of you have probably lived in the United States your entire life. We're not necessarily exiles from the country in which we live because we've been pushed out. Instead, we are exiles from this world because the world in which we live, that the kingdom for, for which we are citizens of is a kingdom of another world. It is God's kingdom. It is the kingdom that is to come. It is the kingdom that is already, but not yet. And the world in which we know it today is not our ultimate home. And so we stand as exiles. We live as exiles. And just like our election connects us back to Old Testament Israel, us being exiles connects us back to Old Testament Israel as well. You see, throughout his letter, Peter makes all of these connections back to the Old Testament. And Peter makes these connections back to the Old Testament because he wants us to see that God has faithfully acted throughout the generations. He, he has not just acted then, but he has acted for years and years, centuries upon centuries. God has acted faithfully. And so we are connected back to Old Testament Israel. And Abraham, you know, we're connected back through this idea of exile. Abraham, who is the, the father of Israel, lived in exile. He left his country to go voluntarily to another country that God would show him, to the promised land. And God said, you leave your country, you leave everything you've ever known, you follow me. I'm not gonna tell you where we're going. You just, you just pick everything up and you follow me and I will make you a blessing. I will bless you and you will be a blessing to this world. And Abraham does just that. Now, later on, God, you know, keeps his promise. The nation begins to grow. Later on, Israel, who is one of Abraham's like grandchild, grand, grandchildren, is in the land, the promised land, and a famine hits, and they have to leave. 
And they leave and they go to Egypt. And, and this is good at first. They get, to let, they get to settle in the land of Goshen. This is a, a fertile land where they get to live and where they begin to multiply. And, but then all of a sudden, several generations go by and another Pharaoh comes. Joseph, the Pharaoh who, allowed, who originally allowed them to settle in that land, ha, has gone, has left. And they end up being slaves. And so at first, this is a good thing for them. They're in exile because they're being saved from the famine. But then they end up in this involuntary exile. Now, if you remember later on in history, the northern kingdom, it's dispersed. And then the southern kingdom remains just for a little bit longer. And then because of their sin, they are taken away to Babylon in exile. And so I know that this is short. I know we covered a vast you know, array or many centuries of, of Israel's history right there. But, but just suffice that to say that the Israel was a nation that lived in exile. And through our exile, and through our election, we are connected to Israel. Now, why does that matter? Why is that significant? Why is it significant that, that we see a connection to Israel? Well, it, it is significant because the same care, the same concern, the same protection that God provided Israel, God provides to us, his people. We are God's people. We have literally been grafted in to Israel. There is no, there's no separate plan. We are grafted in to Israel. Now listen to just a few of the things that God did for them. He freed them from slavery in Egypt miraculously by, by bringing them through the Red Sea as the Red Sea closes down on the Egyptians who were bearing down on them. And then he provides for them in the wilderness. He provided for them even though they were rebellious. He protected them. He gave them victory as they entered into the promised land some 40 years later. He sent them judges and kings to watch over them. And although he sent them to Babylon because of their sin, he kept them alive and he ended up allowing them to come back to the promised land where they were able to resettle the land and rebuild and begin to be a nation again. And even though they were not deserving even though we are not deserving, he sent the promised Messiah who would provide them and who would provide us with salvation. Time and time again, you see that God was faithful to care for his chosen people. And the same care, the same concern, the same protection, the same provision that he gave Israel, he gives to us. We are a part of God's family. We're not second-class citizens. We're not stepbrothers and sisters. We are a part of God's family, a family that God cares about, a family that God is concerned about, a family that God protects. Amen. We are a part of God's family. And that's something that we need to know. That's something that we need to know, especially in the world in which we live today. A world where Christians are facing persecution, a world where we are being bombarded by different accusations, a world where we are facing ostracization all of the time. We need to know that we are God's elect exiles. We need to know that God cares for us, that God is going to stay with us, that God is going to protect us, that he has a concern for us. And he will remain 
faithful, just like he did all of those centuries. Even though Israel continued to sin against God, even though they were unfaithful to keep the covenant, God was faithful to keep his covenant with them, and he remained their God, and they remained his people, and we will be the same. God will care for us and he will continue. God cares for us and he will continue to care for us. And so as as we see here, we are elect exiles. And while it is important for us to understand who we are, it is also important for us to understand how we became who we are. And so how do we become who we are? Well, again, in verse 1, we'll read down to verse 2. Peter says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles, who he's writing to, of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. And so Peter tells us then that, that we have become who we are because God has elected us, God has chosen us to be a part of his family. And you have to know that God didn't just choose us because of something that we did, because, because we are great, because we are somehow amazing, because we are somehow worthy of that. God chose us. God elected us because it is a part of his eternal plan. We are told that before the world even began, God foreknew us. And what the text is getting at here, what this word is getting at here is that, that, that God had a relationship with us. God had a plan for our life. Before we even existed. Before this world even existed. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalms 139, 13 through 16. He says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. I mean, let that sink in for a moment. The God, God who is our creator, who is the all-sovereign God of this entire universe, knows us and has a plan for us. This plan existed before this world ever even began. That is significant. That is significant. And not only does God have a plan for us, we learn next that that God has sent his spirit into our life in order to make this plan a reality. And that's what Peter is getting at here when he says, in the sanctification of the spirit. Now, I know oftentimes we look at the word sanctification and certainly it does refer to this, but, but we look at it and we say that's talking about our progressive, our progressive growth in Christ. And that is certainly what the word sanctification means in scripture. But the word sanctification can also refer to our salvation, the moment that we become set apart unto God. And that's what, that's what this text is referring to here. It is referring to that moment where we become set apart unto God. And Peter tells us that we have been sanctified in the Spirit because he wants us to see that we come to Christ because the Spirit comes and the Spirit works in our lives. He changes our hearts so that we have the ability, so that we have the desire to come to Christ. You see, before we come to Christ, we are 
in rebellion to him. We talked about this this morning. We talked about the fact that, that those who are sinners live in rebellion to God. They live as if they're, they have their fists just up at God in the sky and they say, I am going to do my own thing. I don't care about you. I don't care about how you want me to live. I'm going to live my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to experience it. I'm going to seek salvation my own way. I know that you say salvation is through Jesus alone, but it's not, it's not what I believe. I believe something else. I believe that there are multiple ways to heaven. This is how we live before we come to Christ. This is how we live. This is what we think before the Spirit begins to work in our life. But the God, as the Spirit comes and He works in our life and He changes our hearts, He changes our mind, He changes our desires so that we no longer desire the things of this world. We no longer desire self. We no longer desire to sin against God, but we desire Jesus. We desire to turn to Him and to believe in Him and to follow Him. To be sure, this doesn't mean that, that we, you know, this takes place outside of our own knowledge. This doesn't mean that, that we are robots. When we come to Christ, we, we come to Christ because we want to come to Christ. But we have to remember that, that the reason that we come to Christ, the reason that we want to come to Christ, is because of what we're told here. The Spirit is working in our life. Without the Spirit working, we don't want to come to Christ. We don't want Him. But because the Spirit works, we profess faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And when we come to Christ professing Him as Lord and Savior, we are doing so out of obedience to the gospel call. That's what Peter's getting at with this next praise. For obedience to Jesus Christ. Clearly coming to Christ is an act of obedience. This is how we, we can both be elect yet, yet morally responsible at the same time. Those who don't believe they're rebelling against God's will for their life. They're rebelling against God's desire for their life. They continue to remain enemies of God and they will face his just punishment. But those who profess faith in Jesus, that's an act of obedience. And they're being obedient to Christ. And the result here is, is that we are sprinkled with his blood. Without Jesus, there would be no salvation. Without Jesus' blood, there would be no salvation. And that's because Jesus' blood allows us to have a relationship with the Father. It makes us holy. It makes us clean. You think about that, that might seem counterintuitive, right? We don't often associate blood being sprinkled on us with being clean. At least I don't, you know. And when you have blood all over you, you're like, I gotta go take a shower, I gotta get this off of me. I don't want blood on me. But in this sense, we do want blood on us. We want Jesus' blood sprinkled on us because it means that Jesus has paid the price for our sins. It means that when God looks at us, he no longer sees an unholy sinner who needs to pay the price for their own sin. He sees Jesus' blood, which has covered us, making us holy so that we can enter into God's presence, so that we can be his people and he can be our God. Amen. And here we see again another connection to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, sprinkling with blood was used to cleanse the leper. Sprinkling was blood was done at the priest's ordination so that they might be able to work and enter into the presence of God. As well as, and maybe more important to us, sprinkling with blood happened at the inauguration of a covenant in the Old Testament. God's covenant that he made with Israel in Exodus 24. After agreeing to the covenant, after sacrificing to God, 
After sprinkling blood on the sacrificial altar, Moses, he, he takes some of that blood and he goes and he begins to sprinkle that on the people. And in Exodus 24, 8, he says, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you. And in the same way, when Jesus' blood is sprinkled on us, the new covenant, the covenant between us and God is, is, is inaugurated. We enter into that covenant with God. We become His people. We have a relationship with Him. And so here we see that, that Peter is bringing up the idea of, of election and, and exiles and, and foreknowledge and sanctification and obedience and sprinkling with this blood so that those who are facing trials, so that those who are facing persecution may look and say, man, I am God's. I am his child. Nothing can remove me from the hand of God. He is faithful and he will always be with me. No matter what I'm facing, it does not mean that God has forsaken me. Remember, God has chosen us before the foundations of the world. God has sent his spirit to work in our lives so that we might come to him. Jesus' blood has been spilt. Jesus' blood has been sprinkled on us so that we might be God's people. So when we face persecution, when we face trials, we don't face them thinking that God has has forsaken us, that, that God is not working, that God is not there, that God has somehow lost his grip and his control on this world. We know that God is there. We know that he is among us. We know that God has the same care and concern for us that he did for Old Testament Israel. We know that God will be faithful to us because he has a track record of being faithful. And we see that as these connections are continually made to those in the Old Testament, to those who have come before us. And so far from trying to elicit some debate Peter is seeking to elicit faith and and hope and and perseverance in the churches to which he is writing. He is seeking to elicit hope in the churches today. That's why this letter is preserved in, in God's Word. That's why we can pick it up today and why we can read it. So that we might experience hope. So that we might continue to have faith. So that we might know that God cares for us and loves us. And that God has a plan for our life that will never fail. And so that's who we are. That's how we have become who we are and why Peter tells us these things. Now, now knowing who we are, how we have become who we are should not only help us to stand firm in the face of persecution, but it should also cause us to bless and to praise God. And why is that? Why should we bless and praise God? Well, at the beginning of verse 3, we read what, what Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. But apart from the fact that, that, that Peter sees reason to bless God, why should we bless God? Well, well, he continues and he tells us exactly why we should bless and we should praise God when it comes to our salvation. He gives us four reasons. First, we should bless and praise God because he has shown us mercy. So look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, mercy, mercy means that that we have not been given what we deserve. That's what mercy is. And God in his mercy, he he does not give us judgment. 
which is exactly what we deserve. Instead, God in his mercy, he says here, has caused us to be born again to a living hope. God, God, create, God makes it so that we will be born again so that we can experience the hope of salvation. And when we think about, when we think about our salvation, when we think about the mercy that has been poured out on us, think about the fact that, that we have been born again to a living hope. And that should cause us to bless and to praise God. Second, we should bless and praise God because we have been given a sure inheritance. So look at the text starting in verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable and defiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And the inheritance that, that, that Peter is talking about here is our eternal citizenship is God's kingdom. There is no greater inheritance than that. There's no greater inheritance than the eternal citizenship that is afforded to us in God's eternal perfect kingdom. And Peter tells us this inheritance is a sure thing. There is no chance that we will ever lose this inheritance. It is referred to as an inheritance that is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading. This inheritance, it is kept in heaven for us. God himself is guarding this inheritance. You know, we often like to watch movies that, 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 that talk about these or that show or depict these folks who enter into a bank. And there's this vault that is being guarded. And, and you know, they've got this world-class security. And, and they jump through all of these different hoops in order to break into that vault. And they think it could never have happened ever, but it does. That can never happen with our inheritance. Our inheritance will never be stolen away by a thief. Our inheritance is in heaven where no thief can break in. It can never be taken from us. It can never be defiled. And not only is God guarding our inheritance in heaven, but God is guarding us. He says here that the power of God is guarding us through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. God works in our life so that we continue to believe and we continue to trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. If we are truly Jesus's, if we are truly God's, we will finish the race of the Christian life. We will cross the finish line of this life saying that Jesus is King saying that Jesus is our Savior. There's nothing that will take us out of that. God promises that to us. He gives us the faith to continue on. And that should cause us to praise God. That should cause us to bless God. But Peter's not done. Next, we learn that we should bless and praise God because we are able to face trials with joy, knowing they are working for our salvation. Look at verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory 
obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I mean, Peter is acknowledging here that the recipients of this letter, I mean, they are facing trials. They are facing difficulties. They are facing trials that are grieving them, facing persecution in this world. Many of us may face trials that grieve us from time to time. We may face persecution from time to time. We may be ostracized or accused of things in this world. And these trials may grieve us. But look at the benefit of these trials. If necessary, he says in the end of verse 6, you have been grieved by various trials. And here's why. So that the tested genuineness of your faith may be be found to result in the praise and glory and honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, God is using the trials that we face in this world in order to strengthen our faith, in order to strengthen our trust and dependence on Him. This is how God is keeping us. As we face trials, we are forced to turn and admit that we can't do it on our own. And we then turn to Jesus. We turn to God the Father and trust and exercise greater and greater faith in Him as we see Him strengthening us, as we see Him causing us to persevere through those trials, as we see Him comforting us, as we see Him giving us peace through these trials. We are then directed back to God time and time again. And when we know that, when we know that that's what's taking place through the trials that we are facing, well, we can do as James says, We can count it all joy, right? We can do, as we see here, that we rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Our trials should produce joy in us. And as we experience this joy, we should be driven then to praise and to bless God, to worship Him. Lastly, we learned that that we should bless and praise God because we sit in a privileged place in salvation history. Verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that, that they were serving not themselves but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you, and by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. You see, we sit in a privileged place in salvation history because we get to experience the salvation that the prophets prophesied about. We sit in a privileged place in salvation history because we get to experience the grace and the mercy of God that is poured out in our life, that which angels long to look into. We sit in a privileged place in salvation history. We experience the cross, the effects of the cross, the results of the cross. We get to experience salvation, ultimate salvation, redemption. That should cause us to bless and to praise God. And so here we have God's Word. We have God's Word written through Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and it is given to us so that we might be motivated to persevere through trials, so that we might be motivated to worship God, 
so that we might continue to worship God as His elect exiles, knowing who we are and how we have become who we are should cause us to do just that. It should cause us to persevere when trials come our way. When we face trials, then let's remember. Let's remember who we are. Let's remember how we have become who we are. Let's remember why we should bless and praise God. When we begin to face trials, let's run to God's Word. Let's run to 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's read it. Let's meditate on it. And let's allow these truths here to cause us to persevere, to cause us to bless and to praise God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.